All right, now if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word and turn your Bibles to 1 John. We're going to be reading in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And if you need a Bible, you can find one in the pew in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 709. Again, we're going to be reading 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful and your penetrating word. God, we're thankful that the week that our, our uh, young people had at camp, God, now we pray that, uh, Lord, as they were challenged, you would challenge us this morning, Lord, to respond to the truth in your word. God, just um, move and mold our hearts. Lord, make us more like your son, God, who came in flesh, uh, representing you. Lord, just change us in Christ's name. Amen. Right. Good to see you this morning, and no, I will not be barefoot, ever. You would not want that. Promise me. I promise you. Well, today I want to just say and get your attention with this. We live in an age of deception and deceivers. We live in an age of lies and liars. In an age of false teachers and false teaching, true believers must learn to discern spiritual deception. Last week, Pastor Bruce spoke from 1 John 2, 18 through 27. And in verse 26 of chapter 2, John says these things, says this, These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But true believers must also learn to detect spiritual deceivers. So we not only need to learn to discern spiritual deception, but we need to learn to detect spiritual deceivers. And as Kirk read for us, look at verse 1 again of 1 John chapter 1 in your Bibles. Verse, uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now the question is, how do you do it? It's pretty clear that we need to do it, or that we're supposed to do it. How do you do it? Well, I, I did find on the internet, there's actually such a thing as a carometer. I don't know, you probably would like one of these. It detects whether people really care about what you're saying. I mean, isn't that nice? I mean, no one cares, not even a little. Seriously. Now, you could use that at work. And there's even a jerkometer. Now, this is kind of scary. This is an app for your phone to discern whether your friend, spouse, 
co-worker on the other end of the phone is really paying attention. The jerkometer may actually hold the answer for you. Researchers at MIT, yes, this is what the smart people are doing with their time, uh, have developed a software for these cell phones that would analyze speech patterns and voice tones to rate the percent from zero to 100 on how engaged they are in the conversation on the other side of the conversation. Now, I find it funny in this article, it says, the jerkometer was designed by MIT as a tool for improving relationships, not ending them. Well, I would suggest you find a different name if that is your intent, okay? Ah, you're a jerk, but I want to improve our relationship, pay attention. Well, wouldn't it be great if we had a truthometer, a, a divine lie detector of sorts? Wouldn't it be great to use the truthometer when you went to buy a car to know if you were being told the truth? If when your kids come home late and you ask, where have you been? What have you been doing? You could discern if they were telling the truth. Or when your spouse or your loved one says, I love you more than anyone, anything in the world, you could discern that. Well, those are all times we'd like to know the truth, but let me tell you, the most important time, the most important time in all your life that you need to know whether someone is speaking the truth to you is when anyone stands and says they're speaking for God. And so here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1, uh, 1 through 6, we have a truthometer, a divine lie detector that will help us and we will learn this morning how to detect spiritual deceivers, whether they be in a pulpit or on a blog or on a CD or, or cassette or at a camp. It doesn't matter where you hear them. You can detect a spiritual deceiver. We're going to see why we need this. We're going to see how to do it. And we're going to see who is qualified to do it this morning. So let's jump in. Detecting spiritual deceivers. Here's the first thing you need to understand. The need. Why we live in dangerously, dangerously deceptive times. We live in dangerously deceptive times. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult, or you could say dangerous, times will come. Well, we are in those last days, and those days are, are getting darker and more deceptive all the time. Now, just how dangerous and deceptive are the last days? Well, we see right here in 1 John, I gave you passages, little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, well, even now, many Antichrists have come. Look at 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 2 John 1, 7. For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Many, 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 many. You say, well, maybe... Those are all written by John, and maybe he was just there in Ephesus, and there just happened to be a lot of false teachers in Ephesus. Well, Peter talks about false teachers. 
Uh, Paul talks about false teachers. Jude wanted to talk about salvation, but needed to talk about false teachers. And his brief letter is consumed by it. Jesus talked about it. You see, there is a clear and present danger and a need for discernment and detection. So let's see, three reasons just right here in 1 John chapter 4, three reasons that there is a clear and present danger. First of all, there is deceptive inspiration by false spirits. There, are, there is deceptive inspiration by false spirits. Look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they're from God. And then drop down to verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. What I want you to see here is that the devil, the Antichrist, the enemy, the spirit of deception is constantly at work in this world. The ultimate source of all error, all heresy, all deception is the devil. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John himself quotes Jesus as saying this. Here's what Jesus said to the deceivers of his day. You are of the father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Listen, our, our warfare is not against a human false teacher, ultimately. Any human being who is teaching error is ultimately under the spirit of deception and it's the spirit of the devil that is behind him. That's where that inspiration comes from. Number two, where does the, 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 the spirit of deception, the spirit of the devil, where does he work? Deceptive instruction by false teachers. Deceptive, there is a clear and present danger of deceptive instruction by false teachers. Again, look at verse 1 in your Bible. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they're of God. So how do we do that? Are they floating around? No, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Look at verse 5. Drop down to verse 5. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. So here's the point. Deceptive instruction of false teachers makes the days we live in dangerous and deadly. If you want to turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, here's what Paul says about the days we live in. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, dangerous times, deadly times. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But notice, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Avoid such men as these, 
For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. Always learning and never able come to the knowledge of the truth. False teachers are always ready to show you something you've never seen before because they're always learning, but they have no knowledge of the truth once delivered. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jambres' folly was also. Now last week, Pastor Bruce warned us that we're living in the last hour of deception when there's a multitude of false teachers, a multitude of, of little antichrists. But what we need to realize is behind them are deceptive spirits. And through them are speaking deceptive spirits. And here's what they want to do. Number three, the deceptive influence by false believers. We have a clear and present danger of false spirits, false teachers, and the result are false believers. This series is entitled Assurance. But if you're listening to false teaching, if you're following a false teacher, if you're listening to the spirit of this world, then there's a question about who you really are in Christ. Now notice in verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. False believers listen to false teachers inspired by false spirits. We are from God, though. Look at verse 6. We who are truly born again, who are truly saved, are from God. He who knows God listens to us. That is the apostolic teaching that is found in the inspired scriptures. Okay? So if, if you're truly born again, you're listening to this. If you're not born again, you're listening to those who may claim the Bible, but don't teach the Bible, who may claim the name of Christ, but they deny Christ. They may uh, claim to be godly, but they deny the power of godliness in their lives. So, consequently, here's what I want you to get. Behind every false believer, there's a false belief. And behind every false belief, there's a false teacher. And behind every false teacher, there's a false spirit, a demonic spirit of error that is deceptive, dangerous, and deadly. And here's the reality. We live in a time where it's getting harder and harder to discern and detect that deception. And let me give you four reasons why it's harder than ever. And we'll only get harder. And that's why we need these messages and these passages. Here's number one. Denominational labels have lost their significance. See, it used to be you could go with the name that you trust. That was the old Moody Bible Publishing uh, Company. Go with the name you can trust. The only problem is those names you can't trust anymore. There are Baptist, uh, Baptist churches that have Baptists on the sign that teach false doctrine and have false teachers. And there are Methodist churches that are more conservative and more biblical than in some Baptist churches. Here's the issue. It's not so much the name on the sign, it's the teaching inside the building. Are you with me? 
Okay, so you, you, you need to realize that. Denominational labels have lost their significance. More and more well-known pastors, well-known Bible teachers, well-known and highly followed bloggers are now denying the basic Bible teaching on hell. We have a major Baptist church in Independence right now whose pastor is leading their church into universalism. And it's hard to believe, it's hard to imagine, but it's true. And that's why you need to have an open Bible. And you need to have spiritual discernment. And you need to detect when a deceiver is speaking, no matter who it is. The man who created the message paraphrase. How many of you are familiar with the message? Okay, quite a few. He just this week affirmed same-sex marriage and that active LGBT, LGBTQU, I don't know the old, I don't know at all. People are living, that active participants in that lifestyle are living a spiritual pleasing life. Well, the backlash was huge and swift and quick as it ought to be. And within 48 hours, 24 hours, his publishing company had him retracting those statements. The problem was his retraction was as wishy-washy as his, well, actually as wishy-washy. His first statement was clear. The need for over 2 billion unreached people to actually hear the gospel and respond to be saved is increasingly being questioned by evangelical churches. And yet, if they don't need the gospel and they don't need to hear the gospel, why do we send missionaries? Why do we have faith promise? The humanity and deity of Christ is constantly being questioned by mainstream believers on critical issues such as gender roles of men and women in marriage and ministry. More and more Bible scholars and teachers from reputed schools are affirming the authority of Christ and yet in practice mixing these roles and flattening them out to where there is no difference to complement and complete one another. There is a clear and present danger, and it's deceptively deadly. Number two, part of the, the, the main reason for this is doctrinal teaching has lost its, its importance. Doctrinal teaching has lost its importance. It is no longer important to the people of God. I hate to say that, but it's true. And listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Here's what Paul, last words, last charge to his disciple Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober 
in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. That is the challenge. And I don't really need to comment any further except to say, we live in a day of increasingly people who claim to know God, who profess to be Bible believers, but who don't want Bible teaching. Instead, they want ear tickling. They desire to hear what they want and not what they need. And sometimes what we need is what we don't want to hear, right? In fact, what I need most is what I don't want to hear. That's why I want to hear it. Because I need it. They desire to be scratched where they itch rather than convicted of their sin. They desire a God of all love and no wrath rather than God of the Bible who is holy in His love and His wrath. They long to have teachers and books and programs that will make them feel comfortable and safe rather than listen to sound doctrine that will make us uncomfortable and saved. Amen? I can't remember the last time someone's asked me for a doctrinal statement. Listen, doctrinal teaching has lost its importance in many people's eyes. Not in God's. Doctrine is derided as being too deep, too difficult, too boring, and too impractical. And yet, over and over in the pastoral epistles, Paul says, teach them sound doctrine. Teach them sound doctrine. Teach them sound doctrine. Titus 2.1, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. There is a clear and present danger, and it's deceptively deadly. Number three, it's harder than ever because determining ministry success by faithfulness has lost its prominence. Determining ministry success by faithfulness has lost its prominence among God's people. And yet, and, and this is what happens with false teachers. Look at 1 John, look at chapter 4, look at verse 5 and 6. They are from the world, okay, the false teachers. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And guess what? The world listens to them. We're from God. He who knows God's listen to us. So there's two crowds of people. There's the people that are of the world that listen to pastors and teachers and doctrine and read books that are of the world. And then there's the true people of God who listen to the apostolic truth of the inspired scriptures. But listen to 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Now, why is that significant? That's probably one of the most significant verses. Uh, the last two that I just read on discerning and detecting. And the reason being is this. If your desire is to draw a crowd, then don't teach sound doctrine. Because the world doesn't want that. Only the people of God want that. And this, these verses explain why there are large churches who meet in actually sports arenas that are filled with people. And you say, well, God must be doing something there. Not necessarily. Because those that are of the world listen to those who are of the world. And there's a lot of people in this world that can fill a lot of arenas. Now, please understand what I'm saying. 
It would, appear, it would appear that in John's day, the false teachers were gaining a bigger following than the faithful churches he was writing to. They were drawing a bigger crowd. They were experiencing greater success according to the standards of the world. Some say the size of the crowd is the measure of success in ministry. And you can hear it from both sides. Some say if it's big, it must be successful. And then, then, then the small churches, well, we're small because we teach the truth and the worldly people don't want to hear it. Well, I'm just here to say it's not the size of the church that determines the truth of the message. Okay? Some say the number of miracles performed is the measure of success in ministry. Some say that the personality, charisma, and communication skills of the preacher is the measure of success. Some say style of music or how you feel when you leave there is the measure of success. God knows we don't need any more feel-good churches. What we need is God-fearing churches and God-fearing people. Now listen to what the Bible is saying and what it's not saying because I, conf- I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying, and neither is John, that big is always bad and small is always good. And neither is he saying that big is always good and small is always bad. And I'm not saying, and John's not saying, that feeling bad is always good and feeling good is always bad. Are you, you got the, you know, in other words, we're not glorifying, yeah, you know, in fact, uh, uh, Zach just told me uh, that, that he had some church with a website, the fun church, okay, dot org. Okay, great, you know, and, but it's not more godly to say the downer church, you know, I mean, that, 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 that's, that, that's not the idea. Listen to what he is saying. What he is saying is, you don't measure the spirit of truth by the size of the crowd, the size of the building, or the number of books sold by the author, or by the feel-good after the message. Otherwise, we'd have to say that the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses are some of the most uh, truth-teaching places because they have huge buildings, and they can draw huge crowds, and the smiling preacher in his big arena can say, you know, hey, I'm a success because I've got bigness. There's a growing desire among many professing Christians for outward success, external growth, and cultural acceptance at any cost. At the cost of doctrinal purity and at the cost of biblical truth. In fact, the smiling preacher in his big arena begins every message with a pledge to uphold the Bible. And it's so biblical, I have thought many times to use that, but I want no association with that man. Because once that Bible is held up and pledged, it is put down and set aside. Now, some will say, well, Chris, that's so negative. I won't curse what God's blessing." Well, I would like to ask you, how do you know God's blessing? How do you know the spirit of error from the spirit of truth? That's the point here. Okay? You have to learn to discern. There is a clear and present danger. Let me add this fourth one. It's harder than ever to discern and detect spiritual deception and spiritual deceivers because discerning between truth and error has lost its acceptance. Discerning between truth and error has lost its acceptance. You see, it's no longer politically correct 
or culturally acceptable to say there is right and wrong, truth and error. That's just, now, that's the age we live in. It permeates. It, is perme- it has permeated this congregation. I promise you, we are not immune. So we need to discern that, and we need to detect that, and we need to understand that we're swimming upstream when we say there's absolute truth. When we say there's right and wrong, light and dark, truth and error, we're counterculture. And it's no longer acceptable, even among professing Christians, even among pastors. All they want to hear and all they want to talk about in relation to God is how much He loves us. And any message of sin, judgment, and discipline is viewed, well, you're just a hater. You're just negative, critical, unloving. But I would put forth to you, there is no good news without bad news. There is no conversion without conviction of sin. There is no mercy unless there's a real judgment. And there is no heaven if there's not a real hell. If you deny the negative message of Christ, then you lose the positive message of Christ. If you deny the wrath of God, then you have no comprehension of the mercy and the love of God. And you misunderstand and you have made God in your own image. And and, and, and when you hear people say, I can't believe in a God who, run, run, or stay and say, but this is who He is. We don't make God in our image. He's not a part of a God that I can't imagine. He he is a God that I can't imagine. But when His revelation comes, it convicts and it converts, and you embrace all that He is. The hard parts, the hard parts, the the parts that, that make us uncomfortable, the parts that our culture want to erase. So there's a clear and present danger, and it's deceptively deadly. And what, what, so what's a true believer to do in this climate? Are we, are we to retreat? Are we to isolate? Are we to hunker down and wait for the rapture and just have some rapture you know, practices? Let's go meet and then hide and then meet. What, what are we supposed to do? Number two, deceptive times call for a discerning test a discerning test of those who teach. Here's what you've got to do according to verses 1 through 3. Test the content of those who teach. Test the content of those who teach. Notice it says in verses 1 through through 3, by this you know. Now John gives us a threefold test that is the starting point for discerning between truth and error. And just, let's dive into it, because our time is is short. Number one, test number one. What is their standard? What is their standard? Now, this threefold test will work for you, but you've got to know it, and you've got to apply it. What is their standard? Again, look at 1 John 4, 6. We are from God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, when he's saying listening, he's saying they are inspired apostles who were revealing and teaching 
the Word of God that has written down and has been passed down to us in the 66 books of the Bible. And so what is the truth of this? What is the truth? The Bible is the absolute standard of truth without error. Is that what this person is teaching? Is that what they believe? How do we know if someone's speaking the truth? Do they teach that this book is the absolute word of God and that everything in it, in it is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Do they say this is the word of God or do they say this contains the word of God? Do they say this is the Word of God, or do they say it points us to Jesus, and He's what's really important? Well, let me tell you, Jesus affirmed this entire book as the Word of God. Without error, and it doesn't just contain God's Word, it is God's Word. The Bible, number two, it's not enough to just know it, the Bible is to be joyfully obeyed. It's to be joyfully obeyed. Don't miss this. When John says here, he who knows God hears us, he's not saying, oh, you know, they have our CDs, they have our blog, they, they download and stream our messages. When you hear something in the Bible, it means you obey it and you joyfully obey it. Now, what are the consequences of distorting and denying God's Word, the Bible, as the standard. Well, if you set this book aside, then we no longer have a standard of truth and error. We no longer have a standard of truth. We no longer know what is true and what is false. We're left with man's opinion. We're left with my opinion, your opinion. What makes your opinion better than my opinion? It's only when we can say in this book, thus saith the Lord, that's the only time that we can settle what is truth. That's the consequences. But here's the second test. The second test is this. Not only what is their standard, but who is their Savior? Who is their Savior? Of course, in 1 John 4, in verses 2 through 3, we read, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. So what's the truth? What's the truth? Jesus is fully God, and He's fully man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He had to be fully man to be our substitute for our sin. He had to be fully God in order to rise from the dead and, and have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. So how do we know if someone's speaking the truth? Who is their Savior? Is it Jesus? And more importantly, now we're back to the standard, is it the Jesus of the Bible? Because this is what you've got to understand about false teachers. They're sneaky snakes. They're sneaky. They're deceivers, okay? So they will say, I believe in the Christ. Well, the first thing you want to say to someone of that, is it Jesus of Nazareth, okay? Well, they might say, I believe in Jesus as a great teacher, but do they believe that he's actually God? They may, many believe Jesus became divine 
or was an angel, then he became a man, then he became an angel again. They believe all sorts of things like that. You can't just say, do you believe in Jesus? Many believe in Jesus, a Jesus of love, of the Gospels, but reject what he taught about hell being eternal wrath. They believe the Jesus of love, but reject what he taught about God creating marriage as one man and one woman for one lifetime. They believe in a Jesus of love, but they reject what he taught about he himself being the only way to God. So when he says here, do you believe confess that Jesus came in the flesh, you've got to ask much more questions. That's just not a yes or no question, all right? Who is Jesus? What was he before he became a man? What was he when he was a man? What was he after he died? Did he rise from the dead? Where is he now? Is he seated at the right hand of the Father? What is he like? Those are the questions. Now, what are the consequences of distorting this or denying this? We have a Savior that is human, without being God. We have a Savior that's a sinner, just like us. We have a Savior that's still in a grave. We have a Savior that cannot save, and we have a Savior that's no greater than the devil. We don't have a Savior. Test number three, what do they say I must do to be saved? You see how they all go together? What is your standard? Who is your Savior? What must I do to be saved? Constantly have those questions in mind. Constantly listen to those answers with an open Bible, and you will detect the deceivers. Okay? So notice what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of, or better, from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He... Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And then in chapter 5, if you turn over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. And then drop down verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So here's the, here, what's the truth that we need to understand? Here it is. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. We usually get that first part of that down. Faith alone saves. But notice in the verses I just read to you, John repeatedly says, you have overcome. You are a more than conqueror. You are victorious. In other words, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. It transforms you. And if anybody preaches a gospel that is all faith and never results in transforming works, then you're being deceived. Just as if you have someone who says, yeah, there's faith, but you've got to work hard at getting yourself saved. You've got a false gospel, and you're being deceived. Now, what are, the, what are the consequences of distorting and denying this? If salvation depends on anything I do, if it's anything other than faith alone, then I'll never know for sure I'm truly saved. 
And the Bible says I never can be saved because I can never do enough to pay for my sins. And I can never be as good as God. So, there you are. you got a threefold test to use when discerning. And just understand this. That if you replace the Scriptures or go against the Scriptures, then you go against Jesus who said, I am the truth. If you go against the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ and try to replace it or add to it, then you go against Christ who said, I am the life. And if you go against salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, then you have gone against Christ who said, I am the way. See, Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he has affirmed the Bible as the standard. He has affirmed himself exclusively as the Savior. And he has affirmed that there is only one way to be saved, and that's faith alone. But that faith is never alone. It's transforming. And therefore, God gets all the glory. So, that brings us to the third thing I want you to see in this passage, and it's simply this. Who's qualified to discern? Who's qualified to discern, and here's the answer. Deceptive times call for a, discern, a discerning heart in those who listen. So here, here's the focus. It's not enough to just test the content of someone's teaching. We need to test the character of us who listen. Test your own character. Now, who's able to do this? Who has the character? Who has, who's qualified? to detect false teaching. See, you may be thinking, well, Chris, I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary school. I, I haven't been trained. I don't have those books. I don't like to read. I, I, I don't have the knowledge to do that. Well, let me tell you, these three qualifications qualify anyone. And I don't find anywhere in 1 John that it says you have to have a Bible degree or a seminary degree or an IQ of a certain kind, or you have to preach barefoot or in shoes, okay? None of that's in here, okay? Here it is. Here's the qualifications. Who is able to discern between truth and error? Number one, those who are truly born again. Those, are true, those who are truly born again. Now, I'm going to move fast because here's what he says. He says, you're from God, and because you're from God, you've overcome. And because you've overcome, you don't listen to false teaching. You know, the number one qualification is being born again. And I have said it many times, and it's fascinating to me because we can get so educated beyond our usefulness that we forget that any granny, no, no offense to any granny here, any granny, any granny with an open Bible that's born again can discern truth and error that's submitted to the Word of God. You, hear, you, you realize that? Because it just doesn't ring true. How, listen, when it just doesn't ring true, ask questions. Now, don't get all negative and feisty and divisive. That's not the point. The point is, when it doesn't ring true, verify and clarify. Okay? But you've got to be born again. Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. We have the indwelling Spirit of truth when we're born again. And so when the Spirit in us will ring true with the Word of God which He inspired. 
I went to seminary and Bible college not to discover truth, not even to discern the truth. I went to submit myself to the truth because I was already born again. You've got to know the way of salvation and be on it in order to detect the way in the teaching of others. Number two, those who are true Bible believers. Those who are true Bible believers. And I will just move fast on this. Here's the point. Listen, do you have a Bible? Do you have a Bible? Do you carry it to church? Do you open it? Do you look at it? Do you use the notes in your bulletin? Do you write things other than doodling? We all doodle. There's no sin in doodling in church, or we'd all be in hell right now. It's okay, but do you also take notes? Do you write in your Bible? Do you highlight in your digital Bible? I don't. And by the way, use the Bible that will get you in the Bible. There, there's no advantage to technology if, it, if it, it's a barrier to you being in the Word of God, and there's no in, uh, uh, advantage to a printed Bible if you, don't, if, if you prefer digital. The point is get into the Word, right? Do you submit to the authority of the Bible? Listen, when you're subjected to the Bible, then you want teachers and preachers that are subjected to the Bible. When you love the Word of God, then you want to hear the Word of God. If you love the Word of God, you can't tolerate week after week of weak messages, right? So let me ask you, is your map, is the Bible your map when you're lost? Is it your medicine when you're, for your sin-sick soul? Is it the light when you can't see your way out? Is it your food when your soul is hungry and thirsty? Listen. Believe what the Bible teaches you. It is your way. It qualifies you. Knowing this book, you can't know if people are teaching this book if you don't know this book. Amen? All right, number three, and we're wrapping up, those who are God's beloved children. Those who are God's beloved children. Now, we've already seen in, in this letter, this short letter, that the apostle, just like Paul, John and Paul, they're always calling God's people beloved, and John likes to call them little children. Now, let me just tell you, there's two profound truths that stand behind these two words. And the two profound truths are election and adoption. When he says you are beloved, he speaks of God's electing love. And when he says you are children, he speaks of God's adopting love. And here's what I want you to understand. When you are the beloved of God, when He has elected and chosen you before the foundation of the world, you cannot and you will not depart from the gospel. He holds you secure. You are elect in His love. You are the beloved. He has chosen you and you will persevere to the end. You will not depart and deny the faith. But he also calls us children because he gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins that we might become and adopted into his family. As many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. Why would we ever want to listen to anyone or read anything that doesn't exalt our Heavenly Father, who elected and chose us from eternity past.
So who's able to discern? Well, if you're a born-again, Bible-believing, beloved child of God this morning, you can discern. And so the question becomes this. Does our church pass the test? Is the standard at this church the Word of God? Is the Savior the Jesus of the Bible? And is salvation by faith alone, through Christ alone, who gives us a new heart with a new desire to live for Him? And I guess the question is for each of us, do we pass the test today? Who is your Savior this morning? Who, what is your standard? And are you saved? So with our heads bowed, and, and let's do business with the Lord. Let's respond to this test. So with your heads bowed, and as the team comes, I, I just want to ask you two things. Receive Christ by faith alone. And the Bible says you will be born again today. You have to repent, turn from your sins to trust Him totally and fully for who He really is. And that can happen today in a moment, in a moment, in a moment. And if you do that, we want to know about it, we want to hear about it, we want to help you, we want to celebrate it and help you grow in it. But not only do you want to receive, but would I, could I ask us, Glenwood, soon-to-be LifeBridge members, could I ask you in this time of response to reaffirm, to reaffirm your soul commitment to the Spirit of truth, to the Bible as your standard, Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and salvation by faith alone. Reaffirm that commitment as we respond to Him. Father, work in our hearts and do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen.